This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, the winter storm in the U.S. created some dangerous conditions over the weekend. We look into power outages in Michigan, flooding in California, and tornado warnings in central and southern states. The Energy Department now says it is likely that COVID leaked from a lab. Some Republican lawmakers reacted to the news. A U.S. representative rallies with lawmakers and Chinese dissidents in the center of New York City. Their goal, to counter the Chinese regime's operations overseas. A wooden boat carrying migrants crashed into rocks near the Italian coast yesterday. Authorities say at least 61 people, including 12 children, are dead. The search for survivors is ongoing. And a farmer in Alabama helped pay strangers' pharmacy bills for 10 years. But it wasn't until he on his deathbed that his family found out about his well-kept secret. His daughter told us the story. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, February 27th, and we're starting off today by looking at some areas in the U.S. affected by the winter storm. Some Michigan residents are still without heat or power. Freezing rain from the storm is being blamed for power outages that started last week. Tree limbs and power lines in the southeast part of the state were coated in ice. The extra weight caused many to come down. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on what people in Ann Arbor are going through. The ice storm in Michigan last Wednesday coated power lines and trees with half an inch of ice or more. High winds Thursday put around 600,000 DTE energy customers in the dark at the storm's peak. Around 132,000 remained without power Sunday night. Reconnecting with neighbors and friends and everybody's kind of getting reacquainted with each other. So that's the silver lining of these power outages. The city's densely populated areas were first on the list for repairs. Smaller communities with single-family homes have to wait longer for things to return to normal. Many are using backup generators to run electric heaters and keep freezers and fridges going. Those with gas stoves are boiling water and cooking to generate some warmth. I was at a friend's house who was also out of power and um, they served me some tea because they had a um, you know, gas stove and then they also had a gas fireplace so it was pretty comfortable in their living room. Some residents feel the city should invest more in infrastructure for reliability of power and utilities. We're used to having up to 10 days of no power every spring. This happens every other year, sometimes every year. And instead we're building beautiful, very extensive bike paths that I love. But I think in terms of priority, we really need to put uh, burying power cables ahead of very beautiful bike paths. It's unfortunate that, you know, there's been 20 or so years in which they could be um, investing all of our money into infrastructure or underground lines. Warming centers were set up at local libraries, community centers, and churches. Residents could see more freezing rain, sleet, and snow on Monday, as another storm system is forecast to hit the southeast part of the state. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A powerful storm that swept through the southern plains overnight caused widespread damage. At least seven tornadoes were reported early Monday in Oklahoma, leaving nearly 50,000 customers without power, and at least 12 people were injured. 
is the wind outside right now. You can't even see. Severe storms rolled across Midwestern states Sunday evening. A tornado warning was issued for parts of Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. What in the world is that? One such storm produced strong gusts and bursts of lightning in Sublette, Kansas. And in the town of Liberal, Kansas, winds damaged homes and toppled trees and power lines. At least one person was hurt from flying glass. The storms left about a dozen families homeless. And hurricane force winds and severe thunderstorms tore through Texas on Sunday. Parts of California were blanketed by snow from Friday to Sunday. More than six feet of snow fell in some parts of the state. So much snow on the deck. And parts of Los Angeles saw a blizzard warning, the first since 1989. The storm brought snow to higher elevations and rain and hail fell in the flatlands, causing some areas to flood. Nearly 85,000 households and businesses were without power in the Los Angeles area. The storm is expected to move into the northeast. Mid-Atlantic to New York will face with heavy rain and some snow today. Up to six inches are expected in the Boston area by Tuesday. From California to Ohio, an update from the train derailment site in East Palestine. The federal government is moving ahead with plans to dispose of some of the hazardous waste there. The Environmental Protection Agency briefly paused shipments from the site. It wanted more oversight measures about where waste was shipped. A shipment of contaminated liquid and solid waste will head to two EPA facilities in Ohio on Monday. Norfolk Southern is helping with a cleanup. The EPA's regional administrator says federal, state and local governments will closely monitor the operation to make sure the waste is safely removed. Right now, more than 100,000 gallons of liquid waste and five truckloads of soil need removal. I continue to be pleased that there have been no exceedances for residential air quality standards and outdoor air quality remains normal. So we can now excavate additional contaminated soil and begin installing monitoring wells. These are monitoring wells at the site of the derailment, which will tell us whether there's contamination to groundwater, but this is critically important. The residents of East Palestine have now filed a class action lawsuit against Norfolk Southern. They allege that the railroad company's so-called negligent actions created an environmental catastrophe. They criticize Norfolk Southern for a two-hour delay in reporting the crash. They say that and the company's decision to burn off the hazardous chemicals the train was carrying amounts to negligence. And from train wrecks to lab leaks, the U.S. Energy Department has now concluded that COVID-19 probably leaked from a lab. Republican lawmakers responded to the report published in the Wall Street Journal. And today's Daniel Monahan has the story. The classified intelligence says that the virus likely leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Representative Jim Jordan reacted on Twitter saying, quote, So the government caught up to what real America knew all along. The Energy Department was previously undecided on the issue, but it now joins the FBI in supporting the lab leak hypothesis. The Energy Department's judgment was made with low confidence. Senator Eric Schmidt wrote that, quote, Fauci knew this immediately but dismissed it because of funding for the Wuhan lab. When Fauci spoke, Big Tech censored. Representative Andy Biggs also reacted, saying in his words, Americans knew this from day one. Unfortunately, big tech and big government silenced them. 
Senator Josh Hawley wrote that Americans deserve the truth, while Representative Ken Buck says, quote, Elites and academics owe everyone who had legitimate questions and concerns about the origins of COVID an apology. Meanwhile, Senator Tom Cotton says the Chinese Communist Party needs to be held accountable so this doesn't happen again. GOP lawmakers are ramping up investigations into the origin of COVID-19 and allegations of government and big tech censorship of the debate. Republican lawmakers have been vocal about the theory that the virus leaked from the Wuhan laboratory soon after the onset of the pandemic in 2020. Initially, some health professionals and media outlets labeled the theory's proponents as conspiracy theorists. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says the intelligence community does not have a definitive answer on the matter at this point, adding that President Biden has put resources into getting to the bottom of the origin question. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Mafia-like threats by the Chinese Communist Party on American soil. That's what a U.S. representative said over the weekend when he rallied with a group of lawmakers and Chinese dissidents in the center of New York City. The goal? To counter Beijing's overseas operations. Here's more. An innocent-looking building in downtown Manhattan, now the center of a highly attended event where CCP opponents called out Beijing's totalitarianism. It's all because the American Changlul Association hid a sinister surprise inside, an unauthorized police service center linked to the CCP. The outpost came to light last fall. Agents there have reportedly harassed and spied on Chinese nationals in American neighborhoods. Since then, the FBI has raided the facility and the State Department shut it down. How have we allowed this to happen on American soil? The answer, in my opinion, is that we have been blind. Describing the CCP threats as veiled and very cunning, Gallagher accuses the communist regime of exerting what he calls mafia-like influence around the globe and coercing distance with Muslim threats to bend to his will. Last year, human rights watchdog Safeguard Defenders exposed more than 100 such unauthorized CCP police stations in 53 countries, including four U.S.-based stations two in New York City, one in Los Angeles, and one in an undisclosed location. Victims of the CCP suppression attended the event in New York. They include Uyghurs, Mongolians, Hong Kongers, Tibetans, and Falun Gong practitioners. The number one victim of the CCP is the Chinese people. That message from Congressman Neil Dunn is central to the House China Select Committee. That is, to differentiate between the CCP and the Chinese people. Donna Gallagher will also joined by Congressman Richie Torres in what appears to be a bipartisan effort to expose CCP threats to Chinese Americans and U.S. sovereignty itself. The defense of human rights from the abuses of the CCP is not a Democratic value or Republican value, it's an American value. Yeah. Efforts to counter the CCP are especially important for overseas Chinese dissidents like Zhou Fengsuo. He's one of the CCP's most wanted for participating in the Tiananmen student protests in 1989. This is the first time that we feel that we are hurt by American government. The House Chinese Select Committee will be holding a hearing next week on the Chinese Communist Party threat to America. Coming up, a wooden boat carrying migrants crashed into rocks near the Italian coast yesterday. Authorities say at least 61 people, including 12 children, are dead. The search for survivors is ongoing. 
And Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves has proposed a full year of Medicaid to protect new moms. That and more when we return. Good to have you back with us. Authorities say at least 61 people died in a shipwreck near Italy yesterday. The wooden boat carrying migrants included 12 children. It crashed against rocks near the southern Calabrian coast. Pieces of boat wreckage washed ashore on Italy's southern coast on Sunday. Small signs of the disaster that unfolded before dawn when a boat carrying migrants crashed into rocks and sank in rough seas leaving at least a dozen children dead, as well as scores of others, according to authorities. Italian police said the boat set sail from Turkey about four days ago. Survivors said the boat may have been carrying as many as 200 people from countries including Afghanistan and Iran. The vessel crashed near a seaside resort in the region of Calabria, and the interior minister said as many as 30 people could still be missing. Police said an EU border agency plane had spotted the migrant boat the day before, about 46 miles from the coast. But patrol boats sent to intercept it had to return to port because of the severe weather. The incident reopened a debate on migration in Europe and Italy, where the recently elected right-wing government's tough new laws for migrant rescue charities have drawn criticism from groups such as the United Nations. Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney expressed deep sorrow for the deaths and blamed human traffickers who profit while offering migrants, quote, the false prospect of a safe journey. Italy is one of the main landing points for migrants trying to enter Europe by sea. Many want to go on to richer northern European nations, but to do so they must brave the world's most dangerous migration route. The UN's Missing Migrants Project estimates more than 220 migrants have died or disappeared in the central Mediterranean so far this year. And after the most devastating earthquake in Turkey's modern history, a heartwarming scene over the weekend. Soccer fans threw thousands of teddy bears and other stuffed toys onto the field during a match in Istanbul yesterday. The toys were a donation to Turkey's childquake survivors. The event was organized by soccer fans as part of relief efforts. Official figures now show the death toll has risen to over 50,000 in both Turkey and Syria. More than 160,000 buildings containing over 500,000 apartments collapsed or were severely damaged in Turkey. Turkey has launched an investigation into more than 600 people in connection with the collapse of buildings. So far, over 180 people have been arrested. And Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves says he wants women to have a full year of Medicaid coverage after they give birth. Reeves wrote on social media that if the House and Senate sends him a bill, he will sign it into law. Reeves, a Republican, calls the move part of Mississippi's new pro-life agenda. He says more babies will be born after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, calling that a beautiful thing. Mississippi is one of the poorest states in the U.S. About 60% of births in Mississippi are to women covered by Medicaid. The state usually allows two months of postpartum Medicaid coverage. Physicians say it could improve health outcomes in a state with a high rate of maternal mortality. Twitter reportedly laid off more employees over the weekend. The job cuts affected around 200 workers, or about 10% of its workforce. 
They were said to have been let go on Saturday. Those impacted included engineers who worked on machine learning and site reliability, as well as data scientists and project managers, product managers. Among them was chief executive of Twitter payments, Esther Crawford. Crawford is the founder of the Squad app. She oversaw the blue checkmark subscription service recently implemented at the company. Twitter CEO Elon Musk said last month that the company had a headcount of about 2,300 active employees. CNBC says it's seen internal records that show the number is closer to 1,300. That would mean the company has reduced its workforce by about 80% since Musk took over. Now back in New York City, it's been reported that at least 21 people have had their fancy Apple headphones stolen right off their heads. A roving team of moped-riding bandits are to blame. The thefts began on January 28th. They typically involve four people on two mopeds riding up to victims from behind, snatching their Apple AirPods Max headphones, and then speeding off. And police say the sonic swipers have struck all over Manhattan, including one incident in Central Park. Victims range in age from 18 to 41. Unlike AirPods, which are small and fit inside the ear, AirPods Max headphones rest over the ears, and they have a price tag of over $500. The thieves remain at large. No arrests have been made. The toughest and longest leg of the ocean race is underway. It's a yacht race around the world. The third leg of the six-month competition just started in Cape Town, South Africa. Five crews will race through some of the most hostile sailing conditions on the planet over the next five weeks. Entity's Kostimines tells us more. Leg three of the ocean race started at Cape Town, South Africa on Sunday. The over 12,000 nautical mile marathon will end in five weeks' time in the Brazilian city of Itahai. The leg is the longest ever single leg in the 50-year history of the ocean race. The yachts will race through some of the most hostile sailing conditions on the planet. Leg three of the ocean race is the mother of all legs of this race since 1973. Never has there been a longer leg, a tougher leg, and it passes the three great capes, the Cape of Good Hope, the Cape Lewin, and Cape Horn. After an eventful first hour, three of the fleet were heading into a fresh and building breeze. Two yachts were briefly forced to stop for repairs, losing two hours' time on the other three. In its 14th edition, the Ocean Race is a seven-stop race around the world. It started in early January in Alicante, Spain, and it's due to finish in Genoa, Italy in July. Cost MNS, NTD News. Coming up, a farmer in Alabama helped pay strangers' pharmacy bills for 10 years. But it wasn't until he was on his deathbed that his family found out about his well-kept secret. We spoke to his daughter. Hear the story after the break. Welcome back. Now a story of a farmer in Alabama who helped pay strangers' pharmacy bills for 10 years. Every month, he would go to the local pharmacy and donate $100 so people could access their medication even if they couldn't afford it. But it wasn't until he was on his deathbed that his family found out about that. Hody Childress kept it a secret until he needed help actually delivering the donation. And it was his daughter he tasked with the job. I spoke to his daughter, Tanya Nix. After he passed away, we had gathered in before uh, the viewing, and as a family, we just gathered together and talked about some of the things that we remembered about Dad. And 
he'd always give cards to people that was sick. Um, he was very good. A lot of times there was money in the cards. He carried food to people. He helped mow lawns. He just did a lot of things to help other people. Well, at the funeral, I thought I would share what he had shared with me because I felt like that was just amazing that you would give money to total strangers just out of the goodness of your heart. He was a very godly man and he lived by the Bible. And so after I had shared that, we had found out uh, my cousin was a personal friend of Brooks and she had reached out to Brooke. And Brooke shared her story about what had happened. She had been keeping this secret for almost 10 years. And can you give us an idea about what impact Hody has had with that donation every month? Um, it has helped uh, several people. Brooke had shared some of the stories afterwards with us. Um, a young 15-year-old boy that his parents both were, both had insurance, but still could not afford an EpiPen that was $600.00. And they were able to buy the EpiPen for him that day and give to him. He'd been stung by a bee and had allergic reaction immediately. So that was one I know that an elderly couple was raising a special needs child and they were in need of a washer and dryer, which Brooke was able to purchase and had delivered for them. One mother that was getting out of an abusive relationship, they were able to help her, and she actually came back and paid it forward. She gave the money back, which was just a very kind. Why do you think he kept it a secret? He had quoted to me a scripture in the Bible that said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. That when you're serving the Lord, it should be to serve him. It's not for recognition. It's not for anybody but the Lord. And I felt like he was doing that uh, to serve the Lord. And that was his mission. I feel like the Lord put that on his heart and that he was doing it for the Lord, not for recognition from the world. I feel that he would want people to uh, be kind to one another and help your neighbor. If you see someone in need, try to help them. Uh, he was always a caregiver. Our mother was, um, she was crippled for many years. And my dad worked a full-time job and took care of her and raised three kids on his own pretty much. And he just always had a giving heart. And I think he would want the world to just be able to help each other as much as possible. Mm, talking about his role as a dad, as a daughter, what is the biggest thing you think you learned from him? I feel like love. He taught me when I was younger that True love was sacrifice, and I believe that. I believe when you love people, you're gonna make sacrifices for them. I feel like he taught me to be kind and gentle to other people and to try to think about what may be going on behind closed doors that we don't know. Uh, I feel like his life was very uh, hard, 
But if you seen him out, you would never know that. He was going to give you a hug and a smile. And I feel like that he always had a positive attitude and always felt blessed. I feel like I've had a very blessed life and that I've been very fortunate enough to be raised by this man. Wow, it's, um, it's such a beautiful story, and I think he's a remarkable man, and his love to me, of course, I never knew him, but it sounds very unconditional. And I really appreciate for, um, that you came on today to share this, so thank you so much, Tanya Nix. You're very welcome. You have a blessed day. Wow, Evelyn, you know, I bet the pharmacy customers who benefited from his generosity were pleasantly surprised. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's not like, Tanya told me, it's not like he had a lot, right? He, he was just living on a small retirement income, and it's just that he really wanted to do good. Yes. Yeah, so a really sweet. inspiring story. Yeah. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to share your story or you have any feedback, write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. That's it for today. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.